the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode with Whoa. Dr. D. Welcome. So today we learned a lot about emotional wound, baggage. I got, I, I got emotional in this episode. Oh, you did get I emotional. I talked about a lot of my emotional yeah. crap growing up as a kid. And me too, actually. Throughout my, the middle of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And me too, actually. And it made me think about those wounds with trauma and death and losing someone that you really care about. And I think most listeners will get something out of this episode from any perspective. Because That's right. you'll get the healing process That's and how right. to deal with it, how to sort of get through it and persevere and mm. use your emotional wounds and the connections with them as a strength, in my that, opinion. That's very true. And I think we all have wound and we all have a different type of wounds. And I think we all need to really work on them and put them in the past because they've really affected the way we live right now. And I think a lot of people are listening are going to benefit. Yeah. So enjoy this episode, guys. And don't forget, you can always DM us. Enjoy. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, guys. Welcome to this episode with Dr. D again. And we were just talking about me and not having the courage to upload episodes in 2010. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was surprised because I've never done podcasts. So this is like my first one. I've done a lot of TVs and radio. And so this is like yeah, a me, nice experience. It's too. similar. My know. first time too. <laughs> but it's your first. But then I was like, but I thought that you've started it earlier than me. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I've been I mean, doing with, it for a while. With the project, we've been doing it for like eight, nine months now. Okay. And before that, I actually recorded four or five episodes and it was called Kuwait a Minute. Kuwait a Minute? Kuwait a Minute. Kuwait a Minute. Like okay. Kuwait a Minute. Shout out to Patrick Forshner. Oh. He came into our house once and I don't know what we were doing. He goes, all right, everybody, Kuwait a Minute. Kuwait a Minute. It was a joke back then. Oh. And that name just stuck with me. So I tried doing that and it was geared more towards societal issues and whatever. Uh. And it was geared towards societal issues and everything. And I bought my microphone. I did everything, uh. recorded the episodes, created the notes, and I just never had the courage to upload it. I wonder it. why. What happened? I didn't Let have, me give you some free therapy. I didn't have the guts then. What were you concerned? It was confidence. It was just… You thought was, someone was going to make fun yeah, of it or yeah. nobody would listen to it? I see. It, was, okay. it wasn't even… It was just the confidence of… And I've always dealt with that of trying to make a decision. Yeah. And not being able to make the decision. And yeah. I look towards others for help. Like even till this day, if I'm writing something, my writing skills are horrible. Yeah. So I'll… I know. It will take me an hour to post something. Yeah. And there'll still be a spelling mistake or a grammatical mistake. Uh. And then someone will call me out and then my confidence goes down. But now I've gotten to the point where I really just don't give a crap. Yeah. I said… Instead of writing athlete the other day, I wrote atheist. <laughs> so, some of us were like… No, the damn corrupted thing on your phone. I know, right? Oh my God, yeah. I hate it. It was… That's what it did. It See? was the freaking corrupted thing and I didn't catch it. <laughs> and I was like, haha, you know, I made a joke out of it. And then I just… Well, maybe the unconscious wanted to say atheist. I know, right? I know. It's like these damn bastards. <laughs> but it's like, it was just that confidence. And I think now more confident in mm. creating and leading projects versus back then. So what did you do with those? Did you ever like download them? I still have them somewhere. I mean, are they good? Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't listened, I haven't <laughs> what listened were you to talking them. about? Society. Just like, I think oh, that would be interesting. I know. I'd love to hear it now and just kind of reflect on what it was like in 2009. Yeah. So what it's like I would now. love to hear it. I got to look for them, but I know I have them. I even found my first mic. I was digging through some of the stuff. And I found the mic that I had bought. 
And Hey was like, oh, you can use that for the podcast. I was like, nah, this is old school. <laughs> so, but, but yeah. you know, that's really very interesting because you know what you're saying is that your confidence had stopped you from starting this podcast in 2009. And I think we all struggle with that, right? And this confidence really comes deep down from somewhere what we want to talk about. We want to talk about emotional wound and emotional wound somehow, somewhere when we get them, one of the ways they express themselves is through this lack of confidence. Oh, yeah. So it's I very was, interesting that you're well, saying like, yeah, I wasn't confident because what you're really saying is that I wasn't confident. I recorded all these. Obviously, you're confident to record them, but then you're worried about evaluation, which is something that we constantly worry about when we put these things out there because we're worried about what people will say, would they like it, would they not like it. It's all about other people's evaluation. Well, I grew up, I mean, when I was a kid, I had a very vivid imagination. Mm. And back in the 80s, if you had a vivid imagination, you were all of a sudden labeled as ADHD, ADHD, <laughs> mentally retarded or disabled in some yeah. thing. And my mother, took me, my mother took me to all the doctors, cats, all kinds of crazy shit. And I was just a four-year-old that I created the story of Narnia. You ever see that movie Narnia? Narnia? No. It's a kid's movie. Okay. And like, they open up the closet and they go into this whole different world. Yeah. And one day… I, so you're an imaginary kid I, and they thought that yeah, was bad? Yeah. You know, they say it's amazing now. Yeah, right? Wow. And they you know, totally they say that you should encourage them. Yeah, 100%. Oh they, gave me a, they gave me a complete <gasps> complex. Wow, okay. They told my mother, and I remember this, they were like, yeah, he'll never tie his shoes. He'll never Whoa. get a job. Like, I, I was I'm, seriously messed wow. up. And no, and you were not messed up. They were messed they up. They were messed up, exactly. Oh my God. See, this is what bothers me when people put labels on kids. See how it gave you an emotional wound? It made you feel that you're not good enough. And because somebody decided that imagination was wrong, you probably were distracted in class because you were so much into your imagination and daydreaming that they assumed you were being distracted by something more internal, which is chemical, when really that's not true. See? And because of someone's action, they made your mom run around to all these doctors to be able to give you a label. Then they, what the school wanted, wanted her to come back and say, yes, he's ADHD or he has some sort of a mental disability and now we can't have him in our school or he needs to be isolated and go to a special unit. And now you are sitting here saying, someone decided this, decided that what I was doing was wrong and therefore they labeled me. How sad. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, but it made me into the man I am today. Because Well, I mean, all our emotional wound, I think it's, it's true. But at that time, you don't really think about it because we carried them around. No, but it did make you the man that you are. But what it did also do to you is that actually it made you doubt your capability because they said that there was something wrong with you. I mean, think yeah. about the unconscious message you got, or at least your mom got that she also gave to you which was there is something wrong with your son. Yeah, no, 100%. And then you grew up believing there's something wrong with you. When I do look at it in retrospect, I think it just gave me other skills. Like I learned how to lie around it as a kid. Yeah. You know, like I, oh, I, used yeah. to, I used to use it. I used to use it as a crutch too. Uh, I'd okay. be like, hey, well, I have learning difficulties. <laughs> you know, and I was just a little shit. I never studied. <laughs> I never really put half the attention into schoolwork that I could have. Yeah, but and, then, but then, you know, labeling you kind of gave you an excuse to not be able to do something else. Yeah, that's true. It did. It set up the base for me not really giving as much attention to schoolwork mm. and being more on the streets and getting into trouble and 
sports, so mm-hmm. to speak. Like that's really kind of what drove me towards sports. Like, all right, I suck at the book, so maybe I can be better at sports. And mm-hmm. till this day, I think I'm partially dyslexic anyways. I've right. never been but, tested. But. but you know, I always admire people because, you know, I see my students like that and I can always tell the person that has had some sort of a traumatic experience in their childhood, for example, and how much they're an overachiever and how much they really are hard worker and they'll meet with me a couple of times. And sometimes they even like, they're constantly coming to my office or seeing me after class. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? So you could tell those individuals that they are two things. They're hard workers, but also they're covering something deeper because they're needing reassurance. And then you're wondering, why do they need so much reassurance? Obviously, there is something hidden that's causing them to doubt themselves. But then you get these other ones that have been wounded in the past or in their childhood or some sort of a trauma or a wound that caused them to grow up to believe that they're never going to do any better. And these are the students that maybe not even show up to class, for example. They'll disappear for a long time. They'll show up maybe the last two, three weeks, maybe. And then by then, you know, they're already failing the class and they've never really asked for help because, and it's interesting because I've asked one of the students, I said the same thing. Like one student came three weeks ago and a couple of semesters ago. And I'm like, what can I do for you now? Three weeks. And, you know, and he said, well, you know, I realize you're not going to do anything for me. That's why I didn't come. It's so it's an automatic idea that, look, I already know I'm a failure. I'm going to fail anyways. So, but I was just coming to talk to you about it. I know you're not going to do. And I didn't expect anything because in my life, nothing has ever like worked out. So you could tell, but then there are people, like I said, like yourself, like even when you were in school, like 10 years or whatever, you, I always was impressed at how much you always like to do everything right. You're very hardworking. Like you could tell these skills from people that, and you know, I've said this before. I think sometimes these traumas that we experience is good for us. Makes us be a different person. No, no, you're right. And it's like, I think it gives people other abilities mm. in a way. Could, you know what I yeah, mean? So I to like, compensate, yeah. I don't know if you've read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, yeah. That's a great book. And it talks about how Bill Gates and how all these guys kind of were, they were just set up at the right time. They had the right pieces of the puzzle. Yes. And I think a lot of people, and I can't remember the name of the book that I read that talked about people with learning disabilities, mm-hmm. like Richard Bronson, mm. how he's dyslexic. Mm. I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah Bron- Bron- Bronson's dyslexic. And I was just trying to Google it right now. Yeah, I, I, I think can't Tom remember. Cruise is too. I think so. Yeah, and there yeah, are, yeah. there's actually a lot of people and there was a book written and I and can't remember the And actually there's a lot more people dyslexic than people know about. And there's a lot more people that have learning disabilities that are successful. That's right. And because they're successful, we don't doubt. See, that's the point. The point is like these people are very successful. We never doubt that they would have some sort of a disability. And because we assume people with disability, they're never going to work out anywhere or they're always going to be failures or they're going to be mediocre average kind of Joes that are working in the society, making minimal salaries, and that's it. We never really assumed that actually some of these kids have been identified as having learning disability at a younger age, and maybe as somebody like you, that's why I think you're going to be very successful, to be honest. I think it's because you have that drive, and that where did that drive come from? It came from your experience at the beginning where they told you you can do certain things, like you're never going to pass with good grade or or commenting about like your imagination was bad for you, which your imagination is not bad for you because now you're putting it into work. And so the idea is is that it exactly what I'm saying is that you'll never, because automatically successful people, we assume they don't have any disability. Uh, Disability people, we've already categorized them, right? Disabled people. It's exceeding expectations. It is successful. Successful adults with learning disabilities. That was the book I was referring to. And it talks about if they weren't, 
branded mm-hmm. with dyslexia or ADHD or whatever, mm. then they would have never had the hyper focus in other areas such as negotiation skills, That's such right. as writing or Amazing. creative writing. And it's, true. It's, it's funny how these emotional scars, these wounds that we get as children for some of us, mm. it really unleashes the best part of us. That's true. Versus other people, mm. it doesn't. It will knock them down and then they turn towards drugs or anything else and they kind of use that as their escape from reality and it just takes them down a different path. Mm. And it brings me back to when my brother died, my older brother. I was a bit of a troublemaker around that time. and uh-huh. I wasn't the best kid on earth. When he died, that really kind of reshaped my life mm. in a huge way. And until this day, I think him passing away, his death, is what gave me success because Mm. I learned from that. Mm. Whereas I could have taken it a different way. I could have gotten all depressed, sad, Mm. and… Which some people have, right? And that kind of an experience. Now, how old were you? I was, what? When did you come to Kuwait? 2005. So I was like 23, 22. As soon as you came to Kuwait and there was that email that said, open psychology hours because yeah. you used to see students for free. That's right. I couldn't afford it back then. Right, you know, right. So I thought that was great. And I came to see you about that. So it, it had just happened? It had just happened. It was recent. It was fresh. It was like six, seven months, maybe a year after it. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. So I remember it being fresh, but I couldn't remember yeah. how long ago. I had anger issues. Yeah. I had a lot of, I had trouble focusing on schoolwork. I was not depressed, but I would say, yeah, a label of no, depression. No, and I think you were depressed. I think that anger was a mask for your... But because it was so... It's still fresh. You were going through the grief process. And maybe at the beginning, I don't remember all the details, but maybe at the beginning, you didn't have the opportunity to be able to grieve because you're so angry. And so anger is part of the grief process. So that was like one of your... A traumatic experience, but also your mom was going through a hard time. Your dad was going through a hard time. So you didn't really have a lot of time to process it yourself. No, my mother's husband had died six days after my brother. Yes. So So it was like, for my mom, it was like, till this day, I don't know how she handled it. It was like a double whammy. My brother dies and then six days later, her husband dies. That's just... Major trauma. Yeah. And she was becoming depressed too. So, And I think sometimes this is what happens with kids. It's like when a traumatic experience like that, I mean, also my brother have died and I've told you that and I shared that with you because I wanted you to know that So, I mean, I don't talk a lot about it because he died in 2000 and my brother was 34 and he was fine. He had, he was married, three kids and suddenly just had aneurysm and collapsed when he was sleeping. And so, I mean, I've had other, some trauma. I mean, immigrating to the US, I think for me, if I'm talking about my wounds, was one traumatic experience for me because there was a lot of changes. But with his death... What happened is that because he died, my parents, he was the only boy and, you know, we're a Middle Eastern family, yeah. right? And so that meant a lot for them. He was the only one that was going to carry. But thank God he was married and had three boys. I mean, that's like one of the things that eased up a little bit because he had three boys and they carried the name. But I remember when he died, there was no time for me to grieve. The only thing I felt like, first of all, I was like, I was in my graduate program. Actually, the interesting thing is I had just finished my doctorate in psychology and I was graduating October 14 and my brother died October 4th. So even going to that, here I am all these 10 years waiting for me to to get my doctorate and I worked very hard. And when I went to my graduation, I was not going to go to my group because it's like 10 days after he died. My mom definitely, I mean, she was very depressed. My dad, I think he was depressed, but he was trying to be strong. Here I am. I can't be excited about this doctorate I just got. And I think it was because 
two of my best friends said, no, you got to go graduate. You have to go to graduation because I didn't even like go to my bachelor or my master's actually. So I was waiting for this thing. And then this thing here, like my whole family didn't come. My sister came, one sister, because everyone was so traumatized at this person that we didn't think that he had any medical problem. He goes home, has dinner, sleeps, and then they never wakes up. And his youngest child is like less than a year. And so what happened is that I wasn't given an opportunity to really grieve. I was asked because you're the psychologist now. So now you have to like pamper them. You have to make sure that you understand their feelings. There was trauma everywhere and we were bombarded. In my culture, it's like 45 days, people are going in and out of your house because they're trying to keep you busy so that way you not think about the trauma that's happening. And so I felt like bombarded by people. And then now it's like my mom and dad are losing their mind. And my mom is like freaking out at night saying, no, 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 I know he's coming back and all of these things. And you're like, wow. And it's very interesting because you don't. I felt like I left my grief aside because now I got to take care of all these people. And then because I'm supposed to and I'm the child, so they're the parent. Make sure everyone's okay before you start experiencing it. I think each one of us, so you, you can't even go through the grief process. I mean, same thing with you. Yeah. It's like, mom is depressed now. You, of I course, you're angry. Of, I had to take care of my mom. I had to move back to Kuwait. Yes. You know, I that was part of the reason why I moved back to Kuwait. I probably would have never moved back. Well, actually, I moved and, here because I want to be away from that environment. So I felt like it was an opportunity see, I was su- for I me. I was sucked into the environment. Well, I mean, I felt like it was a good opportunity to come here. And I also, I feel like I needed a, a fresh break, to be honest. Yeah. I felt like as long as I stayed there, there was a lot of family drama. And then there was more drama with the sister-in-law and the grandkids. And I just couldn't handle anymore. I decided I was teaching there and I like finished my four years. And I was still fresh in my experience. And I thought, why not? I can come here and got a great opportunity with the university. And then as long as I was able to practice some license in the state. But still, I didn't really think I was going through it until I came here. Even though he died in 2000, I came in 2005. So the last two years, I felt like there was a little breathe for me, but it was never going to be me time until I moved. But isn't it amazing how easily shaped we are from traumatic experiences such as that Mm. and how two people can have the complete opposite happen from it? I mean, my brother, God rest his soul, he was all about family, all about this. And Mm. it seemed like after... And you weren't. No, at the time I wasn't. And it's just kind of funny because after he had died... Like I started gaining those values. And then when I had my son, DJ, oh. my brother's name was at the age and his nickname was mm-hmm. DJ. So I named DJ after him. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's why. And I remember holding DJ for the first time and it was like, okay, life's come full circle. Uh-huh. And I think that's shaped me into the father that I am today. And it gives me chills just talking about mm-hmm. it because my brother was, he was all about the family. He was all about whenever I had an issue, me and him, we could be fighting, arguing, whatever. But if I had gotten into a fight, and six guys were trying to beat me up, my brother would be there. You know, mm-hmm. it was like he always came to the rescue. Mm-hmm. School, he always talked to my teachers. Like he gave me certain values mm-hmm. that I took away from and it made me stronger. But right. for some people like my mother, mm-hmm. she's just gotten weaker over the years. I don't mm-hmm. think she's ever healed from it. And I don't think she ever will. Mm-hmm. Granted, being a parent is different. And it makes sense of why you felt like you lost a big piece of you is because he was like a really mentor. He was, he was my father. To, he was yeah. my parent. I, yeah. Like my mother, you know, I grew up. My mother was always at work. My dad was never around. So my brother essentially raised me yeah. as a kid. So and, he was significant in your life. Oh yeah, 100%. I yeah. mean, I shared a room with him for 22 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, shared, I shared a room in our house with him for 
majority of my teenage years. And then when we moved to the States together, mm-hmm. we shared my sister's basement and we shared an apartment together. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we were like brothers. We still fought. But we still bonded. And yeah. Was, and he was, he was a big piece of your life. So that obviously losing him, losing that support system, because it sounds what you're saying is that it really made you feel safe. And I think that's what the importance is that it's the person that you felt safe with him. So losing him was like your whole world shocks. But I think what your question is, is that what causes some people to live with their wound and some people to actually move on? And I think that there's a lot of body of research that talks about resilience. And actually, yesterday I was meeting with a student, two students of mine are going to be research and we're going to do a paper on resiliency and what makes people resilient, which is create. And also do they have, we're going to compare it to physical health and mental health. And so what you're really talking about is that what created your resilience? Now, you might have not been that strong if your brother would have continued alive. I, think I, have, a, I have a question for you. Yeah. All right. Now, this goes beyond anything we're talking about. And it's, <laughs> I it's, love that it, way you're like, you I throw know, these it's, things. It's, it's kind of like into genetics also. I mean, do you think, A, there's a genetical component, like there's genetics play a big factor in it. And uh. There's a gene that switches on. Because I almost died when I was a baby. I was one of those kids that was born. I mean, my mother tells me the story. She was like, there was blood all over the room. Oh, geez. You came out, the cord was wrapped around your neck. You were blue in the face. You literally almost died. Right. Now, do you think that played a factor in it somehow? Because, I mean, Freud always talked about our unconscious. All right. And yeah. how everything is buried in our unconscious all the way back into the day we were born. That's right. Right? Yes. He talks about instincts, right? Yeah, yeah instincts. Right. So that primal instinct to survive and that's fight right. and live right. was there from the get-go. Right. So do you think there is a genetical component that is mixed in and it's activated with that near-death experience? I mean, birth? I tr- definitely believe there's a genetic predisposition to things. So there is a genetic component that kind of gets activated because now… but then there's, Like epigenetics? You know, it could be because we have that fight or flight, right? So yep. obviously that's like inborn a tendency that we tend to realize. So, I mean, and if you think about it, when your brother died, you realize that there's no one else that's going to help you or take care of you but you. And so maybe you triggered that aspect or that gene or that fight or flight. So now you're going to fight or flight your life because now there's no one else to be fighting for you or going to school on your behalf or supporting you with your problems. You lost that support. And therefore, actually, there is a thing about this is the reason why we say we shouldn't pamper our kids because what we're doing is, is that we're not teaching them coping mechanisms. We're not activating that gene. We're not activating that process where now you're realizing that you need to depend on yourself. And so when your brother died, I think something triggered in you realizing now it could be genetic or it could be environmental because you're realizing, okay, if I don't definitely do anything... Definitely was environmental. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. With the people I grew up around, definitely was but not it environmental. Might be, it might be the idea in your head that you trigger and realize, well, my only support who raised me is not going to be here to solve my problem. I need to get my life together. Yeah. I mean, I cannot deny that genetic is an important part of us and they do get activated. You know, I always say that to people, like there are certain genes that needs to be activated. And if you don't activate them, nothing is going to happen. For example, if you do come from a family that is very intelligent, for example, or even people that are like artistic, there are people that have come from families that are artistic and they've never really pursued that artistic part of them. And there's other people that they come from family of artistic and they've triggered that gene of being special or artistic in one way. And then they excel in it. It doesn't mean that people don't have it, can be really musicians or artistic, but they need to activate that gene, right? Yeah. And it helps you accelerate 
much more or get better at it. I mean, exactly what for me, I felt like when, I mean, I've always been a strong person, but then we go back to that idea as a genetic, like I have a lot of women and my family are all strong. So I definitely feel like I have that The gene. environmental and it's the, an the environmental gene, gene the because thing. most yeah, of the sense. women in my family, they tend to be more independent. They tend to be problem solvers. They carry the responsibility. They can manage by themselves or with a spouse. So either way, they're very, very strong and they tend to attract men that are not that strong and that depend on them also. So I feel like maybe part of it genetically, I am made to be also strong. And strong is good because when I went through this trauma of my brother dying, we didn't even expect. It was the first time really actually I've suffered someone very important to me dying beside like old grandparents. So I think it just triggered the idea that I need to be strong. I needed to hold things together. I needed to manage because my nephews were very small. I just felt like I needed to do something to keep everybody intact. Because when someone dies, the whole system is falling yeah, apart. So right? I think two things are like, in my opinion, are the hardest emotional wounds to deal with. One is death of a close family member or death of someone extremely close to right. you and sexual violation. And I think sexual violation is something we could talk about in a whole yeah. a whole episode on its own. because that. Well, but emotional wound could be also coming from like a major breakup. For example, you're in love with this person, you trusted this person. Yeah. And suddenly they violate you even with domestic violence, like they're abusive to you. How could they say they love you, but they're abusive to you? Or that they leave you, they cheat on you, they leave you and you feel like you're wounded because here you are, you're trusted this person. It's the same thing as what your brother did to you, what my brother did to me. In a way, they left us. Oh yeah, so there, was a lot, there was a lot of hate at the of beginning. Course. At the beginning, and I didn't know what it was, Yeah, but it was hate. I was like, why did he leave me? Why did he leave me? with this mess of my mother right. and my father, That's which right. was very difficult to deal with. So I get what you're saying. No, I mean, they left us. I mean, they did not be by choice or whatever it was. But at that time, the only thing you saw, same thing I saw is like, why did he leave? His kids were so small and why we couldn't. And then this is the reason why a lot of parents, when their kid dies young, they go around trying to find a reason. Was it something we've done? Was it something? And you know, parents also have this survival guilt that causes them to become depressed yeah. because they're not expecting that he would go first, right? So the emotional wound is where there's a scar, a major scar, and it could be many of them. So if you have someone that left you, that left you for death or abandoned you because they're saying to you, I don't no longer want you in my life. Or if you've been in love with someone and that person harms you because they give you a wound because now your wound will be you don't trust because they cheated or that they violated you sexually. Of course, now that is definitely, I mean, there you see it, young adults or even college students where they are like date rape or even like walk down the street and unfortunately yeah, yeah. someone rapes you, of course. So these wounds, what do we do with them? Yeah. That's the question. The question is like, okay, so I can walk around being wounded because my brother left me or your brother left you or I was in a relationship where I really loved someone and he left me. So the idea is, is that what do I do? Do I walk around this wound? Should I? Because it's going to affect every aspect of my life. It made me feel guilty that I was alive. And you know, my mom, not that she meant it, but because he was the only boy, there was always, when she was depressed and she was grieving, she would make comments like, because we're five girls, one boy. She would make comments like, why did he go? God could have taken one of you girls. Wow. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> the thing is, is that <laughs> it's very tough because in her mind, the idea is, is that this boy was very important. I mean, my mom and my brother were so close. And the idea is, is that 
for her. Of course, so my anger was like, why would you say something like that? But I'm sure that now she was like, I don't think I said that because she was depressed and in her depression stage, this is the way she was justifying it or trying to understand why God would do this to me. Again, that victimization. So I got a question for you. Now, we're talking about all this and I'm going to throw something out here where I might sound like a jerk. But do you think it's just the strong versus the weak? Like you had said, this made you stronger. This made me stronger. Other people, they're just weak characters to begin I think, with. I think personality trait really plays a if part. If they're weak it. characters, because obviously I mean, but, there's going to be some cannot, listeners that are weak. Of course, so they're going to be weak. They... Look, we also have to understand that this is a frame of mind. I'm a strong person, but I still had a lot of wound that kind of carried me down. I wasn't confident. Neither were you. So these wounds did make us lose confidence in ourselves. I mean, I lost ability to be able to make decisions. I was constantly bombarded with the idea something is going to happen some more. Bad thing happened. Maybe it will draw more bad things. The whole bad thing's coming through. But the bad thing coming, But isn't yes. that, then but we I could decided, go back to self-fulfilling prophecy. Because yeah. if you believe bad things come in threes, won't you sort of create the whole... Of course. Bad crap happens in threes and then Because you protect it. Again, yeah. bad things happen in threes. The idea is that that just, it's a way we want to protect ourselves. It's not true. There's no evidence out there know, that right? says that bad says, things oh, come karma, in three. The world, the world conspires against no, you. No, but so I truly believe people, happen, yeah. my mother also said that. And a lot of people like the older people that have that belief actually that something else bad is going to happen because they have this mentality that one person died to other people. Actually, my cousin, my first cousin also died like three months later in an accident. So is it, do they come in threes? I mean, I don't know. Or is it just coincidence? I think it's a protection. Yeah. It could be coincident and it was meant to be, but I think we protect ourselves because now we're, we want to be able to survive any other traumatic. You have those defensive walls sort of, of already set up. Of and- course. But you know, I go back to your question. So it's not the weak or the strong. And it's the idea is that even individuals who are sensitive, I mean, we all know that certain personality survives more. Yeah. If you're a strong personality, if you're very determined, you're going to survive. But does that mean people that are not have a strong personality, will they be able to be dismissed from the world and not do anything in life? It's not true. What they need to do is make a commitment to themselves that I'm not going to let this wound follow me through life. I can't be looking in the mirror and the only thing I remember is the wound that I went through because I lost someone that loved me or because I felt abandoned or whatever. What we need to do is make it. So I think the strong personality, not because it's strong. I made a decision. I changed my lifestyle. Like I moved here. I wanted to give myself a fresh start, for example. That's one thing I could do. The idea is is that I also became a parent and I had my son who's 14 now. So there was a decision. I started to add new things to my life because I wanted to make a difference. So what people need to realize, if because if we fall into the trap, well, she has a strong personality anyways. I hear people say that. Well, no, she's strong. She survives. This one, she'll never survive. She's weak. We're already telling these individuals that you're going to walk around feeling sorry for yourself and you're not going to make a commitment to yourself that I'm changed. Most people that really do well in therapy are the ones that are smart and they come and say, look, this is my issue and I'm determined by being here, I want to get over it. And then, so it's a commitment that I make and that you made. You made a commitment. It's not because you're strong. You decided to let your brother rest in peace and that I am going to carry the torch now and have the values that he taught me and continue creating your own values. So we all need to make that commitment. The problem with people is some people are lazy. Some people want to... It's easier to sit there and 
do the self pity thing. That, and, because they haven't worked on themselves. So yeah, working on yeah. yourself takes a lot of work. No one was like you or me. Nobody comes up and says, oh, okay, I worked very hard. You have worked very hard. Some people don't want to work the hard, but they want to experience the result. What goes on in the mind of a narcissist when something like that, when an emotional wound happens? I mean, my father, I still believe he's kind of narcissistic. Actually, he's extremely narcissistic. <laughs> and I think we've agreed on that back in the sessions back narcissistic the people don't have empathy at so all they do i mean i, I don't on. know i mean if, if you're not have a little bit but they don't that's it's not one of the qualities you don't have empathy but not at all they don't all. feel like, sorry for anyone if you lose a valued family member or someone close to you you won't they feel have... sad a little bit but they move on very quickly of course it's a cover right so what are narcissists what they about their emotional a... wounds from childhood like your dad beating you or something. Or... Oh, that's why they're narcissists, right? Or they have a cold mom. I mean, there are two types of narcissists, right? There's the grandiose and the vulnerable yep. one. And the vulnerable ones that came from these parents that are abusive or cold. And then, they, of course, the grandiose are the one the parents are like glorifying, glorifying everything them. you do and put you on a high pedestal. So our, our society with males. <laughs> Basically, our, our society with like the male figureheads of a family. Of course. Oh, and then now, nowadays, yeah. you see it a lot. How do they deal with emotional wounds? I think narcissists don't really think about these wounds. What they're thinking about is the next step for them, right? How do they move on? And how do most narcissists move on? They, they move on to a new relationship. Would they try to capitalize on something like this? I, they could have, because remember, narcissists also like victimization. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So, they, so they want to be victims. Sorry, I had to throw that in That's there. True. I, was just, I was just curious about very that. True, very true. So they'll walk around victimizing the situation and poor me and I just lost my son and whatever or in dear father's case and or so they live in that because what are they trying to do remember they're trying to get someone else to give them that spotlight so then once you victimize yourself you have a scenario in your head suddenly it becomes their issue instead of really it's your brother who passed away now it becomes their issue yeah. it's constantly they bring it back to themselves but it's funny my father who I've always thought is narcissistic, but I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. Maybe I, I'm diagnosing here. Maybe I shouldn't, but we don't talk about my brother. Like we seldomly talk about my, yeah. we don't talk about him at all. Yeah. Actually never, to be honest with you. Even yeah. when I mentioned, oh, I named DJ after my brother. He didn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. He, you no, know. he's numb actually. His emotions yeah, are numb. It, it, it's yeah. the only way to survive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea is, is that lots of people, they do numb themselves. They don't want to talk. And that's when it becomes an emotional wound. Because remember, a wound is something that you've covered up. And then it goes into displacement. And then it goes to, to displacement. That's right. And so, and that, or projection. Projection. Yeah, there, hey, from, I knew projection too. <laughs> right, I just used displacement because that's what I used to do. I used to displace with my anger. That's right. So oftentimes it's like, and then it comes to haunt you later. So you could displace it all you want, project it all you want. Ultimately, what happens when we get older, it's like the demons coming out. Because then you start to realize your life is not happy. You're constantly feeling rejected, abandoned. And then most of sometimes when it comes to like this sexual rejection where people have been sexually violated, even the partners that they attract, they tend to abuse them. They mm -hmm. tend to take advantage of them because you haven't really resolved. Don't walk around. These wounds are very important that you don't a, internalize and make it look like it's your fault. And you have to realize that this emotional wound does not have to become you. That's what people need to understand. My trauma, my experiences in life, that they don't have to become me. I can change their perception to make them positive for me. And I think people like need to get off this idea that, well, I'm not as strong. I cannot forget this. It kills me when I have clients saying, 
no, 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 I can never forget this person leaving me. I just can't move on. Like somebody just two days ago told me. They were in my relationship for 20 years. This is in the 90s we're talking about, right? The person has left them. I said, they left you in the 90s? Like I was like, you know, here, I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, did you remarry again? Did you have a... No, 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 I can never. That's fine. It's a personal choice. But the idea is that to say that I can never move beyond this person who actually left me, but I was very connected to him these many years. Okay, so the idea is that that means it's a mindset. Do you want to move on or you don't want to move on? Everyone needs to look at themselves in the mirror and decide today, I have decided I'm going to move on. I can't let this emotional wound be the priority in my life. You can't. And people think that they don't have control. They have control. I have control over what I'm going to decide, what should be controlling me. And people need to understand we have a lot more control than we think, actually. So yes, we can blame it on traits. Yes, I am a strong person. I was born as a strong person. <laughs> but I don't think I was this strong. I've decided to become You made a decisive decision, yeah. And I mean, it's like one of my buddies, Mark, he used to say this when we were kids. Well, I was like 18. Uh, when something bad would happen, he always said this. He would be like, look, if it doesn't kill you, it just makes you stronger. And, and maybe we should look at these yeah. things. I mean, that's why I tell you, remember when I talk about the psychological immune system, I tell people that when they're praying and they're saying, please, God, don't put us through any trauma. I mean, nobody wants trauma, but when it happens, why do we look at it as a crutch instead of saying, okay, this happened? We all need a grief period, especially for death. So we grieved, all right? I've gone through the process and now I need to move on. I cannot be stuck. So emotional wounds keep us stuck at that time. Like this person who's in the 90s didn't have a relationship because of so, or this other person because their brother died or their sister, or I had, a, I had another patient or father died 10 years ago, still stuck 10 years. It's a choice. You want to be stuck 10 years, but you can't come to me and say to me, look, I'm unhappy. I always cry in and I feel I cannot make decisions. I can't move on with my life. All of these are connected to this. People don't want to see the connection. There's a connection. So when we go back 10 years and I say, look, now we need to grieve. We need to say goodbye to daddy because he's gone. You have to make a commitment. Holding on to these memories, they're not serving you a purpose. But for people that are afraid to move on, this is how they keep themselves going every day by holding on to their fears. And so this girl, 10 years ago, dad died and I'm still, I mean, she was like, you cannot believe Mandy. She was talking to me. I swear, I thought she was going to tell me that dad just died a week ago. Really? Wow. So wow. when I'm talking, you know, at the first session, I'm taking notes and I'm thinking, oh, your dad died. I'm so sorry. And then I say, what year? It was 10 years ago. Exactly. Wow. And the tears, the emotions, that tells you where that person is stuck. We all need to know where we're stuck. Oftentimes, we're stuck at a wound. We need to go back. Don't be scared to go back. Go back. Get a therapist to help you go back. And I'm not talking about hypnosis. I'm talking about memory of it back. I mean, hypnosis might help. Go back. Realize you it was still something. don't like the hypnosis. I don't do you? like hypnosis. <laughs> I remember in class you're like, there is hypnosis. <laughs> I mean, there is hypnosis. I mean, I totally. I no, mean, I agree. you know. I mean, I have colleagues that do it, and I have friends that do it. I mean, I don't do it. Sorry, but, I didn't mean to change. No, tangents, but sometimes. But, I mean, yeah. there are people that would swear about that hypnosis has helped them. But you know, literature has a very, very con. No, I don't mind. Hypnosis has been very well known for like addictions, right? Even eating, 
But I don't really think it recuperates memory. I haven't read anything that has made me believe that it recuperates memory. But so even that it, wound, yeah. that wound, I mean, hypnosis, if you don't remember, like if some tragic, traumatic, people think that traumatic experience happened to me at five and I can't remember it. They think hypnosis is going to help them. I don't think so, but whatever. But the idea is, is I'm going to have all these hypnotherapists attack this. I mean, to me, it doesn't. Now, but the idea is like most of the time, I know my wound was when my brother died. So I go back there. I put those memories in peace. I got to move on. I can't be holding. And I can. It's a choice. Okay, I've decided I don't want to let go of his memory because sometimes people don't want to get let go of memories of people that they've loved because they feel guilty because now I'm not going to remember my brother. You will still remember him in good times and bad times. You still can morse over him. It's okay. But still, my life doesn't have to be stuck in those emotional wounds. I really, really want everyone that hears this realizes that identify your emotional wound, go back to it, come in peace with it and move on because you can't live another 20. I can't imagine living another 20, 30 or 40 years with that same thing, that sadness, that grief and never being able to make a decision, make my life happier. I can't be happy. So people say, can you please make me happy? And they've got all these baggage. Uh, Yes, I can. But let's clean up. We clean up houses. Everyone needs to clean a house. Clean your house. 100%. And on that note, I think we should end it right there. That's true. And if you have any questions, head over to Instagram, DM Dr. Dinka, DM the Project Kuwait. We'll try and answer them as best as we can. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you and join us next time.